Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padumaro, and Hats on Lamps. How's it going this week? Oh, it's going great. How are you doing, Patrick? I'm doing pretty good. Good. It's uh, episode 64, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we're a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about some of the how what the different color pairs are trying to do in this format. But to begin with, uh, how was your draft week? My draft week was pretty good. Uh, as as you know from the last time we recorded, uh, I had a difficult time at the beginning of this format. It was baffling to me. I had uh, I struggled. Uh, I got I, I got into sort of a sort of a depressing play pattern where I would uh, where I would do a draft and do badly and then think, I'm going to do another one now that I'm in a worse mood uh, <laughs> and draft worse and then lose again uh, and then repeat until I was too tired to stay awake. Uh, so that's not a fun way to live your life. Uh, so I made a few, a few I made a few important changes and uh, and then I started I started winning again. And I'm 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 comfortable with where I'm at now. Uh, I'm uh, the 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 game numerically thinks that I'm back in the top ten of of drafters. So uh, uh, I guess I've got proof that I'm doing better as well. Um, and I made really really the biggest change that I made was that I just stopped playing when I didn't really want to. I am only playing now when I'm in the mood to draft Eternal. Uh, which is much less often than at the beginning of the format. I no longer am putting pressure on myself to figure anything out. I'm just uh, doing what I think is best. Uh, I had to stop streaming. Uh, I was streaming once a week, and I think I was putting pressure on myself to perform well at the game on stream. Uh, so I was drafting a lot so that I would be prepared for my stream. And again, kind of a negative feedback loop there. I was putting stress on myself that my 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 uh, my people in chat definitely weren't putting on me. But nevertheless, I was putting it on myself. So the healthiest thing was to take a little break from streaming uh, and get back to playing Eternal as a game that I enjoy rather than as something uh, that I'm responsible for in some way. So uh, that's a long way of saying, good, my draft week was good. <laughs> I made another. I made a couple of other small changes in the way that I was drafting the format that made a big difference, and maybe we can get into those a little bit more later. But uh, the main thing is that I just, uh, it, when I'm in a good mood, I play Eternal better. So, uh, how was your draft week, Patrick? Uh, my draft week, I guess, similar in a sense. Um, we didn't record last week. You were kind of in a, a dark place, Eternal wise, <laughs> mm-hmm. and. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was pretty busy, so I think it was good for both of us that we skipped last week. And I was kind of feeling sort of a similar thing to what you were feeling, but with regards to the podcast, where I've, I've just been, now that we're, we've been really busy, feeling this like stress to like come up with content for the podcast, edit the podcast play enough eternal that I have something to talk about. And I didn't actually, I don't actually have time to do (laughs) all three of those things. And so like last week I just got to like play eternal and not worry about recording a podcast. And that was a lot of fun. Um, 
And so I've just been trying to figure out how to balance all these things in my life right now, you know, because one of the things I struggle with a little bit is like when I get really busy, I then put a lot of pressure on you to come up with uh, things to say, which then um, feels like I'm contributing to to the crushing weight. (laughs) <laughs> of, of doing a podcast about a game that I was feeling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't know how that's going to resolve itself, how this is going to continue to resolve itself. Um, you know, I think now that you're feeling a little bit better about um, Eternal, that sort of, I feel like how I feel about Eternal is very much tied into it. Cause I'm like, I feel a sense of relief about Eternal when you're doing well with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, so I've got plenty of thoughts. I made notes this week. <laughs> I've got material. So, um, yeah, so I guess all of this is to just say that, you know, our schedule might not be quite as consistent as it as we've been, especially in the winter and spring when I had more time to devote to the podcast. So, um, you know, as we're toward, sort of, figuring out how to do a podcast, have fun playing the game and coming up with interesting content because, you know, I think Eternal is a fun game and it deserves to have high quality content. And there's not, you know, a ton of draft focused podcasts like us. So like, I still want to produce it, but I also want it to be good and something I'm proud of. But I also want to have time to play the game <laughs> that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so figuring out how to balance all those things is sort of a thing I've been thinking about this this past week yeah. while getting a couple seven win runs. Nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that was, I, 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 I said something very similar to this a couple months ago in our lost episode, but that was lost. So I thought... I, it's this opportunity to uh yeah no i don't even remember it now i've wiped our last episode from my mind completely <laughs> i i wanted my version of reality to be the same as reality's version of reality so i've aligned myself with it <laughs> that's smart i mean it's good that we're both enjoying the game a little more again that's yeah. fine that's the point there's no point in doing a podcast about a game that we're not enjoying like yes. that's our negativity about it can only come through <laughs> to the to the listeners. I know. Well, sometimes in the summer, I feel like I'm doing a, a, a podcast about a game that I don't play, right? Which is a little awkward. But <laughs> but while I don't have time to like sit down and play, I can think about it, and so like the podcast sort of gives me that opportunity to think about it, so that I can most fully utilize the time I do have to play. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So we also want to thank our patrons who do support the show, um, despite all its flaws. So uh, we'd like to thank um, Stephen R., Mercurial Blue, Abinago, Meagles, Madness, Titus and Blossom, Parmalee, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Cassandrath, Jed the Homrid, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistow. Thank you for supporting us despite our flaws or perhaps because of them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
So, uh, shall we move on to the card of the week? Yes, please. You have a, you have a, a timely card. I do. Very timely. Uh, my card of the week is Trickshot Ruffian. Uh, and it's timely because uh, there was a round of balance changes today, and Trickshot Ruffian was one of the cards that was struck with the nerf bat. Uh, Trickshot Ruffian is a 1 Justice 1 2 Gunslinger unit. Uh, its ability on summon is you may give another unit plus strength plus health equal to your Justice influence this turn. Before the nerf, it also gave that unit lifesteal, and it was ridiculous. Uh, the, the reason for the nerf is pretty obvious. Uh, something like half of the successful decks in the in the ECQ tournament this last weekend uh, were basically built around playing Trickshot Ruffian as often as possible. Um, because the swing, the lifesteal swing, and just the sheer, like, putting the bonus on a flyer and smacking your opponent in the face for an awful lot of damage uh, was just so powerful. And you could also search up your Trickshot Ruffian with whatever the revenge card is that gets, uh, that gang, gets one Crown drop. Yeah, Crown Watch Press Gang, yeah. Um, which also got nerfed, uh, so that it costs five now instead of four. Anyway. Um, I know. Rip my uh, Replicator deck. Yeah, uh, Press Gang was a cool card, uh, and still is a cool card. It used to cost five, and then it got buffed to four, and now it's back to five, five I think, yeah. is the story for Press Gang. Um, there's a lot of interesting one-drops in the format, and um, until there were sort of a glut of really powerful one-drops, it wasn't a big deal to be able to you know, search them out of your deck. But with stuff like Ruffian, <laughs> like being able to get two of them with one card is absurd anyway um i was going to choose trickshot ruffian before the nerf and before the cards performance over the weekend for a couple of reasons uh one is that uh, i i don't think i've ever seen such a powerful one drop in limited before in my life i was underestimating this card at the beginning of the format and then i just started taking it whenever i saw it i was like oh i'm I'm just winning a lot now. <laughs> um, it plays very nicely with a few of the themes of the format. One is the influence matters theme. Uh, justice has justice is the best faction at producing more justice influence, mm-hmm. um, and and so Trickshot Ruffian tended to get powered up faster than other similar cards. Partly because it gave a bonus equal to justice influence instead of equal to, like, half of Justice Influence. Like, Corrosive Dagger makes half the number of Rustlings as you have Fire Influence. Trickshot Ruffian makes full Justice, like, every piece of Justice Influence you've managed to put together is the amount that you smack your opponent with. And the fact that you got Lifesteal on that swing meant it was incredibly hard for your opponent to race you. There's also a bit of a sacrifice theme in Justice. Um, There's a lot of units that are good to sacrifice. I'm going to mention this later, too, when we're going through the faction pairings. Um, And Trickshot Ruffian is another one of those, because it gets a huge benefit when you play it, and then later you sacrifice it to Grizzly Contest or Siphon or Paladin or something for even more value. And then the third thing is that it plays incredibly well with Imbue, because uh, units with Imbue lock in the size of the unit that they are imbuing off of. I really don't know the best way to phrase imbue terminology. (laughs) The imbue target? The imbue victim? I'm not sure. 
Anyway, the uh, imbued, the imbued, exact, the imbued, uh, the imbued unit. Anyway, um, if if that unit has a temporary buff, uh, then the unit with imbue gets that buff for as long as the imbue is taking place. Uh, so having a one power giant boost to a unit like Trickshot Ruffian means that the that the if you can play the imbue unit the same turn that you'd played the Trickshot Ruffian. Uh, the imbue unit is huge, um, and then stays that way until the imbue link is is broken or you know killed or whatever. Um, so yeah, it isn't just by itself. Uh, by itself, it would be a, it would have been a good card in any format, but with the themes in this one, it was exceptional. So I thought it was interesting that way. Um, now that it doesn't give life steal, I actually think it's a lot more restricted because uh, it is a temporary buff and there's not that many imbue units, so you have to work a little harder to make it a really great card. Uh, but I still think it's a very good uncommon. It's just a very versatile little thing for a one-drop, um, and there still are flyers in the in the format. Whacking somebody with a flyer with a trickshot ruffian buff on it is still very good. You just don't also get this big um, life boost uh, right. to keep your opponent from killing you on the following turn. So I think it's significantly worse, but because it was one of the best cards in the format before the nerf, uh, taking a huge hit like that in the power level still makes it very good. Yeah. And that's all oh. I have to say. Oh, there is one more thing that I need to say about Trickshot Ruffian, which is that the flavor on the card is amazing because it's voice the voice sample when you play it is just bang. And that is how you feel when your opponent plays it against you. <laughs> is that you have been shot. <laughs> it is just bang. Oh, God. <laughs> they played Trickshot Ruffian. You could be looking away from the screen and Trickshot Ruffian gets played and you feel bad. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the most flavorful cards they've ever made, in my opinion. I'm sorry. All right, so my card this week is Dark Fire, which is the five fire fire uh, spell that says deal damage to an enemy equal to the highest attack among your units, and Shadow Shadow, uh, it has life steal. So we talked about Dark Fire two weeks ago, uh, and we disagreed about its power level. What makes you bring it up now? I'm. Uh, well, I bring it up now because I've played now um, two decks that um, both of them had three dark fires in them. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I've won several games with dark fire. But I'm still a little unsure about the card. So I kind of wanted to talk about it. I think maybe I was I was too low on it in the set review. Um, show, but I'm still like a little unsure of where to value this card and how good it is. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is like it feels like you can have too many dark fires in your deck. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, right? But it also seems like maybe this is just. But since I started looking, I've been seeing like a lot of dark fires. So like one of my two stone scar decks had four of them. And I was like, well, that's crazy. <laughs> so so I, I just 
played three of them, but that also feels crazy because one of the problems with the deck is you can get really clogged up at the five drop slot because you want units with a lot of power. And what better unit to do that than um, the eight one? Yeah, Inferno Zealot. Inferno Zealot, yeah. And so I've been having, you know, I've been enjoying the deck and having a lot of fun, but I can't tell if it's like a really good deck like this five, like high attack stone scar deck or whether it's like you can draw the wrong half of your deck. You know, like there were a few games where I'm like, I had three dark fires in my hand and I was like, ah, I sure wish I had composed this deck differently. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) But then sometimes you're like, well, I have an Inferno Zealot on board and three dark fires in hand. My opponent's dead in three turns. Things are things are looking good. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't yeah. know. The card is good, but it still does feel situational, and it feels like you can end up with too many of them. So I'm still not sure how highly to pick them. I guess is sort of my question slash thought. Yeah, and I, I don't know for sure. I've been playing. Uh, I, I I haven't been playing much fire um, mm-hmm. in all of my in my decks for very much. Well, I've been playing some. I shouldn't say I'm not playing fire, but I haven't been playing Stone Scar. Uh, Stone Scar was sort of felt like uh, an easy deck to get a to get a grasp on at the beginning of the format because the theming is so clear. Um, and so I played some then. But since then, I've been exploring other successful decks, and it just hasn't, they haven't been the kind that would want to play a Dark Fire. So I haven't been picking them that high. But my thought on it is that it does cost five. And so you have to evaluate it as a good card that costs five, which means you don't want that many in your deck because it gets clunky, like you said. Um, and also that it has kind of a, it has kind of a split purpose in a Stone Scar deck. Or really, I guess any fire deck, um, but uh, but it's also like that. That purpose is like very clear. Is like dark fire is your expensive reach after you've had an aggressive start. Otherwise, it's not really that good. Like dark fire is both your reach that you do direct damage to the face with, or it gets rid of the last blocker that keeps you from doing lethal damage. If you're playing a long game, it's not great as just sort of removal, um, even though it has lifesteal on it, which suggests that it should be. Uh, It just feels to me more like a card that's like the hammer blow to actually win the game rather than um, something that you play sort of over a long period, which means that you only want so many copies of it or cards like it um, because you only need so much reach in your deck. You need that sort of meat and potatoes, like I'm going to do damage with these cards repeatedly, and then I've got a few cards that make me win the game. And if you've already got enough cards that make you win the game, you don't need more, and you certainly don't need more that cost five. So like Darkfire, it's hard for me to imagine playing more than two, and I could cut down on the number of Darkfires and playing if I have other cards like Gun Down or uh, like something that makes my guys unblockable or anything like that that kind of serves the same purpose. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's the question. Is like, do you play like because Darkfire does have that dual role? So like, if you have enough five attack units in your deck, like doesn't Gun Down? Doesn't the Darkfire sort of replace a Gun Down? 
Oh yeah, you probably play Darkfire instead of Gundown, but when you're talking about like how high you should take it, yeah. if you've got a couple of Gundowns and then your option in, in pack four is like, do I take Darkfire to replace one of my Gundowns or do I take a Vorpal Cutter that can beat their face in earlier? Probably right. Vorpal Cutter. Yeah. No, that I agree with. The other uh, Wombo Combo that um, I really enjoyed with Darkfire besides for playing Inferno Zealot is... Uh, um, I think Flamekeeper is a boosted card in the draft packs. It is, yeah. I think it's boosted ten times, actually. Yeah, and um, having Darkfire have Overwhelm uh, makes that card a lot better. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, that's fun. Um, yeah, I almost never actually encounter that kind of interaction in the wild, but of course, Flamekeeper says that right on the card, doesn't it? Yeah, it well, it's the, I actually forgot until I played a Dark Fire. <laughs> I was like, oh, look at all this damage I did. Neat. Yeah, and <laughs> what a happy accident when I won this game. <laughs> yeah. And there's just so many ways to get Darkfire, like, really big. You know, Inferno Zealots, I mean, the most obvious one. But, um, you know, and then you're doing eight Overwhelm Lifesteal. That can definitely... That allows you to sort of use that Darkfire in that more controlling role, almost. Because you're sort of able to use it for both purposes, then. You're like, yeah. you know, killing their unit, doing a little face damage... And stabilizing your life total. Right. So it definitely has some interesting uses. And I made a lot of, you know, I made a lot of usage in it in my one seven win run with that. Um, and then I immediately drafted almost the same deck and went 0 2. Um, I've since crawled back a little bit from that, <laughs> from that initial hole. Um, but you know, it sort of caused me to question a little bit, like how highly I had I took Darkfire the second go around. As I recall, you had a pretty strong, uh, like five strength matters theme in that deck, and that went seven wins just overall. Like, yes, like it was real. Like if you had like maybe three fewer cards that cared about how high strength was, it would have been a totally different deck. You know what I mean? Like, if, if when the theme is that strong, like you had Sil Hand of Cabal in there, which was like five strength matters a lot. Yes. Though we kind of talked about this in Discord. Like, that card actually didn't really do much. I mean, I will say I had two of the one, three, your big guys get lifesteal yeah. unit. And that, I guess, you know, maybe it was mostly that. Um, it was. Because I had so many ways to gain life steal, because I had two of those cards, I had three dark fires, and so I was able to play it a little bit more controlling and you know survive long enough to just like start playing five drops. Yeah, that makes sense actually. If the deck was had a lot of survivability that way, then you would just sort of overwhelm your opponent with like just sort of high quality cards over time. So it's not there's not only one way to build Stone Scar. Um, even though the theme is pretty strong, like you can have a focus on 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 different parts of it, I guess. 
Just yeah. that, that lifesteal aspect of it is real. Like Spirit Weaver is a very good card. Um, so if you're just like, I'm going to play another big unit now. Here's another big unit. Here's another big unit. Eventually, your opponent's going to go, well, I don't, I don't have any more. And you seem to have an unlimited number of them. So I guess I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. And, th and that's actually kind of an interesting aspect to this um, stone, the Stone Scar deck is that, like, depending on which uncommon you get between Spirit Weaver and Might Weaver, it sort of really changes, like, what you're doing with the deck, the way you're playing it, and how you're building it. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's... Uh, I think that's true. I think that's what I've discovered about um, all of the faction pairings to some degree is uh, is that my initial like oh the if I draft it this way then I'll be successful and if I can't theme it very strongly this way then I won't be. Um, that was sort of how I was thinking of the format at first, and it turned out to not really be true. Like the strength in some of these faction combinations is not exactly where I thought it was. So. Um, uh, in our in our main topic here, maybe I'll be able to get into some of that, some of some some more specific thoughts. Yeah, we have s such a great segue to the main topic that we'll first quickly talk about the seven wins on <laughs> breakdown. Yeah, let's take a pause there, and Keep then that immediately segue in get mind. in to our main topic Yay. of talking about these uh, dual factions. Um, but. Uh, the seven win run breakdown. This is a segment of the show where we talk about sort of all the seven win drafts that people sent into farming eternal at gmail.com or posted to our seven win channel on the farming eternal discord, um, where you can either send them as exported deck lists or any kind of eternal war cry link. And then we put them in a spreadsheet. We talk about it on the show and we thank our lists and we thank the people who submitted a list. So you get the, not only do you get, uh, 5,000 gold back or whatever, you get to hear your name on this show. <laughs> so, uh, and as in case, always, in case you don't like for entering all of these lists. Okay. Oh, so I'm sorry. I talked over that. Thank you, John Holio, for entering the lists, is what Patrick said while I was talking. Oh, what did you say? No, I, I don't. I was just yammering incoherently, but it, I'm, it definitely covered up what you were saying. Okay. This went really well. <laughs> All right, so our new contributors this week is Beloved Boxer, and then Markov, Markov, is it Markov? Markov? I think Markov. Markov, okay, Markov Chainsmoker. Yeah. And our veteran contributors are um, Aberash1819, A-Boss, Agent Dynamo, Beard Broken, Clint McCool, Collector, Commander Salamander, Darth Herman 2, D-Dub, Dubes, Gato Sujo, Handyman, Hats on Lamps, Hot Nickelball, Iplong No, Iris M, Jedi EJ, Jose Carlos 2121, Cassandra, Mancio 1982, Meagles, Mercurio Blue, Nothership, uh, Pachi, Parmalee, Raven Dragon, Rokoku, Sigma Tank, SSJ 1997, Spiffy Man, Tempest Dragon King, Tyson Blossom, Twin Hex, Vader, Yistout. Yeah, thank you everyone for sending in deck lists. This is what happens when we miss a week at the beginning of a format, I guess. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, we got content. Um, uh, yeah, so we've had uh, 119 submissions so far. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and we talked about uh, the general overview, which we talked about last week. You know, it's still 
mainly two-color decks. Uh, 98 of them have been two colors. Uh, 15 have been three colors. So we have a few three-color decks, but not a ton. Um, this same thing is true last week. Primal and Shadow are still well behind the other three factions, which are actually Time, Fire, and Justice are kind of bunched up in the 45-plus range, and then Primal and Shadow are both in the 20s. Uh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I've been having a fair amount of success with Primal, but the commons in Primal are pretty weird and situational to a large degree. Uh, and I think the same thing is true of Shadow. Shadow's got a handful of good commons and then a whole bunch of stuff that's really difficult to use. Yeah, and then the final thing I just wanted to mention is um, there seems to be uh, two classes of color pairs. Actually, the color pairs are pretty, between the two classes, are they're like bunched up. So like Fire Time, Fire Justice, Fire Shadow, Time Justice, Time Shadow, and Justice Primal are sort of all in the mid to high teens. And then um, Fire Primal, Time Primal, and Primal Shadow and Justice Shadow are sort of in the mid to low single digits. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that the the top decks in general are, it's easier to draft a strong deck, but I think you can draft a strong deck in any faction pairing. Yes. Like, there's not really one that I would avoid just because it's that faction pairing at this point, because I've had success with most of them. Yeah, and to make that maybe a little more clear, like, for example, of all four fire faction pairings, um, only Skycrag fire primal is not doing well so the other three we have quite a few representatives of in time um all three are, are three of the four once again are doing pretty well it's of course a lesion pri primal being the common factor there that's not doing particularly well right and then in shadow it's uh, argent port and film um aren't doing well and yeah, so those are the sort of the four colors that aren't doing well. Okay. So primal uh, being a pretty primal and shadow being the key the key factor there. Yeah. Well, I do think that those two factions are a little harder to figure out than the other ones. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been playing with I've been playing a lot more with primal, and I I'm pretty comfortable drafting it now, like with my with the way that I'm evaluating the cards in it. So also. Uh, part of it is is the fact that people are avoiding primal like it's the plague again. So you can pick up some pretty good stuff um, if you notice that that's happening, and 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 that primal is is open for you. Yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy. You definitely this is another format where you'll be into pick eight and there'll be four primal cards. Yeah, yeah, and you know three of them will be weird. <laughs> but maybe one of them will be really good. Yeah. Like I shouldn't like Spellbound Ursine, the uh the three three overwhelm for, for five uh with imbue uh bear 
it, it, it is a perfectly good card, and I shouldn't be seeing them ninth in the first pack. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. fine. Just draft it and play it. You'll win the game with it. It's good. <laughs> it's a good. It's good for a five drop. So there's a certain amount of like, oh, I just don't want to play primal going on, and I think uh, you know that that sort of gap in in what players are doing favors the brave. So if you learn how to draft primal and play it, you've got this whole avenue available to you. It's like it's like having a carpool lane <laughs> just like open up. <laughs> primal, my primal. buddy, in the passenger. It's always primal, yeah. yeah. But it's also shadow now, so you know, primal's got a buddy. Yeah, this carpool lane says primal only, bud. At least there's not one faction that's just dominating all of the others, like time has for the last two sets. Exactly. Yeah, so that's good. And, um, yeah, so I think we should go into the faction pairings. I think we'll talk about some of these things a little bit more in depth here. A little so, bit. Yeah, there are just... ten whole faction pairings, so I'm going to try not to spend too much time on any one. Just do a few quick hit points and then a little discussion, because uh, we've got a lot to get through. But um, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's my goal, is to talk less. Let's give it, yeah, let's, let's, let's go. All right. Uh, let's start with Gombre. Uh, that would be our, that would be our Justice Time uh, faction. So the cross faction cards are very ramp oriented. There's a, a spell that draws two Justice Sigils. And then if you have two time, uh, if you have two time influence when you cast it, uh, you'll put one of those uh, Justice Sigils right into play. Uh that's all it does, you know? It's just a ramp card that draws two Justice Sigils. It's like, if you're not ramping, uh, what are you even playing that card for? And that's a common in Justice. Uh, and then, of course, as an uncommon, there's a weapon, which is very similar. It also ramps you if you have time influence, but it's also a 3-3 relic weapon that costs six. So if you're not ramping, you're not, you don't need that card. <laughs> yes. Uh and time has a lot of ramp just inherent to it. Just the mono time commons. You've got uh, you've got apprentice mage, which is a two two for two uh, for two time. Uh, it gives you plus one spell power. You've got uh, battery mage, which is a five three for five for uh, it's a five three for five time time and. Uh, uh, it gives you plus one spell power, plus one spell power each time you surge. These are dedicated ramp cards. Um, so you've got a lot of ramp at your disposal if you're playing Combray between all of the cards. Uh, the weird thing about it is that you're not ramping to anything. If yes. you're in time, you've got Allosaur. Uh, Allosaur uh, uh, is, is, is the four, five, for seven uh, time time. Um, and uh, its, uh, it's summon ability is to give another unit decay and killer. It's a pretty cool card. It puts a body on the board and then turns one of your other cards into a removal spell. Uh, and it costs seven. It's a reasonable thing to ramp to. And then if you've got the uncommon Omen Scar Worm, uh, which is eight quadruple time for an 8-8, eight eight, uh, and then every time you surge, you draw a card, uh, that's another great thing to ramp to. And then there's nothing else. <laughs> there's nothing else at all. <laughs> uh, there's like in in the in in the curated draft packs. There's I think the uh, belching behemoth is like the closest thing. 
Um, yes. And and that's a six six for eight that gets you six health when you play it, and that's and that's fine. That's also a time card. Uh, it, it, like if you can't ramp to anything else, might as well ramp to Belching Behemoth, but you don't want to. But in Justice, there are no big cards that you're ramping to, which makes it feel weird that the theme is ramp. Um, right. You you don't get a huge payoff in the uh, curated draft packs for doing all of this ramping. That doesn't mean that Combray doesn't work. Sometimes you do get that Allosaurus and an Omen Scar Worm uh and and by all means play them early and win with them um but uh it feels like a theme that wasn't completely supported like there needed to be at least one like big green uncommon or at least some in the curated draft packs uh to make it more consistent like when you get to six and seven power that you've got something strong to play you've got stuff like smogwink tinker which is the four four uh flyer that gives you four armor when you play it uh that costs six quadruple justice but ramping doesn't help you play that thing because it doesn't give you influence yeah it's uh it you might as well just like it you might as well just play that on six because you're probably not going to have the four justice influence that you need until then anyway um so there's not really a pay there's not really the payoff for that that you would think the best ramp faction pairing is actually praxis because they 10 times boosted a couple of really good top-end uncommons in fire. They've got Forgeborn, which is the 7-7 seven, seven with, uh, with Overwhelm for 7. Um, and it can get even bigger once you reach 9 power. There's Skyfire Hellkite, which is the 7-4 Flyer for 7 that, that hits your opponent in the face for each unit that you played. Those are things that you ramp to. Justice doesn't have anything like that. So I think Combray is powerful because there's a lot of good justice cards and a lot of good time cards, but the the theme that you're that is sort of the faction pairing identity doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's weird in the sense that it feels like the faction identity, you know, the two cards you mentioned are the worst <laughs> the worst cards of the bunch. You know, like those are the cards that you don't particularly want to put in your like good combray deck almost yeah yeah not really um i'll play them uh yeah. i mean i won't i won't play the weapon but i'll play the i'll play the the three power spell that draws two justice uh, if i'm playing a slow deck because it does draw two cards it's not yeah. the, the worst card in the world um and sometimes you don't have anything else to do on three uh but it, but no, it's not the strongest card in your deck. It enables the rest of your deck, and and if you don't have that top end that you're that you're that you're uh, dirtling on your way to, if that makes sense, um, then then you don't play that card. Yeah, you know the the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk. This isn't necessarily just about Combray. It's like with Alasor and Ramping. Like I feel like Alasor is not that exciting of a card to like get out early because you're like less likely to have a good target to decay onto it. I mean, I guess like battery mage is fine to like put decay on, but, but if you, if you kill your battery mage to kill an enemy unit, you're like, you're now down power and a big unit. I don't know. That's true. Yeah, playing Alistair early is a little bit weird. Um, however, I am 
firmly in the camp that you can play a hunting allosaur without a great target to give decay and killer. <laughs> like if you play your four or five, uh, like a couple of turns early, and then just sort of give something else decay and killer and don't use it right away, that's still fine. You're doing fine. <laughs> All right. So should we move on to Praxis? Let's do Praxis. Uh, so Praxis, uh, like I say, has a lot at the top end. The official theme seems to be big spells. There's a few cards uh, that, that care very explicitly about spells that cost five or more. Um, and I think the most significant one of those is Ancient Machinist. It's a 2-1-4-2 time. And uh, when you cast a spell that costs five or more, it turns into um, a Sentinel with uh, strength and toughness equal to the cost of that spell, which usually means that it turns into a 5-5 five, five, or sometimes a 6-6. Six, six. Uh, that's a pretty good card if you can consistently do it, because it only costs two. And a lot of uh, a lot of these spells available in this format are fast spells, so you can transform the ancient machinist mid combat, uh, mm -hmm. and, and that usually wins you the game. Leyline Tracer is the uncommon. It's a three three for four time uh, with decay, uh, and it gets a temporary strength health buff equal to the size of any spell that you play. Um, I hope I explained that correctly. Uh, it's a real powerful card, too, uh, because it doesn't need you to cast huge spells for it to get that benefit. Any spell you play is a, com is a, uh, is a combat trick for Leyline Tracer. Um, I think it's one of the best uncommons in the format, because Decay is already powerful, and uh, your opponent just never knows how big your Leyline Tracer is going to be <laughs> in this combat step. You can play anything, and it can grow. Uh, and then the last one is Rust Machine, which is the 3-2 for 3 fire uh, and uh, you can spend four power to get five power. That's its ultimate uh, for one turn. And also when you cast a spell that's five, that costs five or more, uh, you get two one-one wrestlings, which uh, also have decay. So those are the three big payoffs for actually going deep on big spells. Um, and there are a lot of good uh, big spells that you can get in Praxis, including the five cost one in fire that just makes a five four. Um, so, and also there's things like Humbug Nest that makes, well, I guess those aren't big spells. Anyway, point being that you've got that theme, but you don't need it. Because like I mentioned during the Combray section, you can just play Praxis as a deck that has a bunch of big, overwhelming cards in it. Because you have those available. Between the two draft packs and, uh, and, and the Argent Depths packs you've got access to a lot of really huge stuff and you have ramp available in time and you can just kind of you can just kind of play a deck that has uh one huge bomb after another once you reach 5 power. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's happened to me uh against opponents they just sort of like dirtle around and ramp for the first couple of turns and then it's just, and then it's just like like 5 5 6 5 7 4 flyer uh, I can't. All of my, only a couple of my cards are are that big, so I guess I die. Well, yeah, nah. they don't even have to. They don't have to have an ancient machinist in their deck. They can just play one big card after another, uh, and they'll be fine. Yeah, you you know, I've been having trouble with this deck a little bit. I feel like it's hard to build because you have so many sort of like 
two drops that seem to be to help your plan. You know, you have the the one that ramps you the two two that gives you plus one power. And then a lot of the big time cards require a lot of influence. So I'm like always want to put evangels in there. And then I always have trouble figuring out like you know, like my, it feels like my deck lacks mid game, but then I can also still have too many two drops so that I like ramp, but then I'm still only drawing my two drops <laughs> or yeah. whatever, you know? Yeah, I've had exactly the same struggle with the deck. I haven't actually had a seven win with Praxis yet in this format. Um, it just sort of hasn't come together for exactly the reasons that you're saying. But I've played against decks that seem to be able to pull it together, so yes. I'm assuming that it's potentially a very strong archetype, but I haven't I had experience doing it myself okay and then you mentioned um one other potential praxis deck yeah that's got a kind of a swarm sub theme you've got cards like humbug nest and humbug swarm um and then fire has the payoffs for playing a lot of tokens you've got things like oni battle driver and rally and that kind of thing that let you kind of turn your turn your humbugs into into little guided missiles and well not guided i guess but uh they just can do a lot of damage. Uh, so I think that's got a little bit of potential, too. There's not a lot of token generation in this format, even though there's a lot of cards that benefit from you have going wide on the board. Yeah. Um, and so I think that you kind of... Uh, I think there's potential to do that in Praxis specifically, but I don't think that's mostly what you're aiming for in Praxis. I think it's sort of a side effect of the fact that Fire has all of these uh, go-wide benefit cards and that uh time is one of the few factions that can actually generate tokens yeah i mean fire i think one of the best ones is the um the weapon that fire has that that gives you rustlings for every two fire influence you have yeah yeah exactly corrosive dagger um so if you have like if you're in praxis and you're and you're more leaning towards fire as far as the influence goes uh, then I think you've got, yeah, another tool to make some tokens. Um, it's kind of difficult because of the influence requirements, though, because then you're trying to do Humbug Nest, which takes two time, and you're trying to rack up a bunch of fire, so the Corrosive Dagger is really good. Uh, so I think, again, it's a difficult deck to build. But I know, that's a lot why I put six Evangels in there, and then all right. I do is draw two drops. <laughs> all you do is draw two drops, yeah. <laughs> that's a problem with the Evangels. I also have struggled as to exactly where to take Evangels, uh, but I'm definitely taking them less hot, like lower than I was at the beginning of the format, and it's it's paying off for me. Yeah. Uh, unless I need Surge for some reason, and random Surge draws will help me. Like I don't, like I don't tend to pick Evangels that high, uh, and I instead just try to draft decks where I can reasonably play my cards. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy in this format sometimes, but uh, uh, it's, it's possible. You can find your way there. All right. Okay, so let's move on to Stonescar. Let's move on to Stonescar. We already talked about Stonescar a bunch, but uh, um, so we don't have to get into this anymore, really. But yeah, the, the, the theme is that strength matters, and there are a lot of payoffs for having units with high strength. Uh, Might Weaver and Spirit Weaver are two of the big ones, and it's one of the reasons that I get into Stone Scar in the first place. Might Weaver is the one that makes 
uh, five strength units or higher do double damage. Spirit Weaver is the one that gives them life steal. Might Weaver can kill people just out of nowhere so quickly. It's an incredible card. Um, and then Spirit Weaver is obviously very good for survivability, like we were saying. There's Vorpal Cutter, which is the 1-3 with Decay for 3 Shadow, and then when it attacks, it gets strength for that turn equal to the highest strength among units you control. Uh, very powerful card on attack, not great on defense. Um, not terrible on defense, because it's got Decay, uh, but not great. <laughs> I really like it in a deck where I'm going to be attacking a lot. Uh, and then, of course, Darkfire, which we discussed earlier. Uh, and there's, it, those aren't the only ones. Like, there's a few others, but those are some of the big ones. And uh, uh, and then there's a ton of units with high strength available between the draft packs and the uh, the Argent Depths packs. So just a real... I think it's a good starting place. Like, if you have no idea how to draft this format, just try drafting Stone Scar. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, the... the, the the payoffs and like the support cards are doing the same thing. Uh, it's great. And then in my experience, uh, because you're, you're not going to have a lot of flyers, so it's a little bit difficult to do that last bit, bit of damage after you've punched your opponent with these high damage uh, units a couple of times. Um, there's a lot of unblockable uh, in, in this particular form of the format. Not in Argent Depths so much, but in uh, in the draft packs, you get your reconnaissance, which is a five times common. So you'll see it fairly often. That gives your that gives your unit uh, that gives your unit uh, plus two strength and unblockable for for the turn. And also, if you decimate, then you get to draw a card off the top of your opponent's deck. And then also, spur on is a ten times uncommon. So you're going to see that fairly often. Uh, and that gives your your unit plus one and unblockable. Uh, for a turn and then has revenge so it'll do it again so that's a reasonable way to do the last bit of damage that's your reach for that deck um, plus you might just get a murky tentacle tentaclesis 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 <laughs> tentaclesis <laughs> you might get a murky tentaclesis which just is a 5-2 that, uh, that just always has unblockable and then just win with that um, or else you just do damage to your opponent's face with something like Darkfire. Uh, that's not the only face damage spell. There's a few ways to do that in this format. So uh, you've got a lot of options. You've got a very clear identity for your deck. There might be a sub-theme where you've got some lifesteal, so you're playing the long game. You might have a sub-theme of doing as much damage as possible in as short a period of time as you can. Uh, but your your goal is to is to do bunches of damage in big whacks and then finish them off with either unblockable or direct damage spells. Uh, pretty clear and easy to draft. Yeah, yeah. The murk, murk, murky tentaclesis is kind of it's pretty interesting card because it feels powerful in this deck, even when, even when your opponent doesn't bring it back. You're just like, yeah, your stone scar opponent's just doing a lot of damage, and you're like, I think I finally stabilized, and then they play yeah. a five two unblockable, and you're like, oh no, I'm oh. I'm just dead in a turn. Yeah. Can't, can't kill it immediately, so I guess I, I guess I die. Yeah, that's 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 why it's reach. Yeah, it's yeah. like once your once your resources have been stretched thin, uh, stabilizing, then that's that last it's that last card that you can't deal with. And Tentaclesis is not hard to kill. It's just you've probably used up most of your resources killing other things by the time it comes down. Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah, and even if you do kill it, they might be able to bring it back. So they they might very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the best ways to bring it back is just midnight hunt, which is the uh, uh, you know the plus strength equal to your shadow influence and uh, and quick draw. Mm-hmm. It's a fast spell, and it has revenge, so it brings back Pentaclesis when it when it revenges. Um, yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to mention that's kind of a cute combination that I hadn't really thought about, but the fact that you said Stone Scar doesn't really have any flying units to get that last reach. Um, I found if you draft the um, the oh jeez, which way is it the the uncommon two power, um, the two cost, the fi- the fire cares, is it fire and cares about shadow or is it shadow and cares about fire? Its strength goes up. I, I, I need another hint. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. What's its, what's its face? Um, hold on. <laughs> it's the, uh, it costs two... Uh, two fire fire yeah dark blade cut first dark blade okay. cut first two fire fire uh it's got uh it's a two two uh it has overwhelm and then it has plus strength equal to your shadow influence yeah okay so what is it dark dark fire. blade dark blade cut purse okay just yeah four so another words. Uh, <laughs> neat Damn. interaction in stone scar that sort of utilizes a good card and a card that has um, historically not been very good is um, Dark Blade Cut Purse, the um, the two cost fire fire two two uncommon that gains plus attack equal to the amount of shadow influence you have. So that's a very good card and it has overwhelm. So you want those in your deck, but because in your void it continues gaining that attack buff. The three cost O one dragon from the last set. Oh, skeletal dragon, sure. Skeletal dragon can suddenly be gigantic out of nowhere just because your two drop died. Right. Yeah. Um. I would say that skeletal dragon is kind of at its best point here. Uh. In this format as opposed to the last one even though there were more ways of bringing the skeletal dragon back from the void and then making it again so it would get its summon bonus of, of its its strength bonus more Multiple than times, once yeah uh, that was true in the last format but in this format it might just come out as a, as a as a giant flyer when you first make it uh it's much more likely so yeah i think it's in a better spot it's still not a good card but it's 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 in a better spot now yeah yeah, but it you know it's like one of those things. Your two drop dies. You can play that for a lot of attack, and then that you know once your skeletal dragon, if it has more than five attack, it's now tri- you know even though it's it's a it can be a three cost card that triggers all of your five attack cards and stuff. So it, oh, yeah. it can have its cute uses. Yeah, if you're if you've got a five one skeletal dragon and you play a might weaver, that's going to be a short game. Yeah, exactly. All right. So then next is Feln. Feln. So this is the deck that I've had the least actual hands on experience with. So a lot of this is going to be conjecture, but I think it's that way for a good reason, which is that there is no strong 
identity for this faction pairing. Um, the theme seems to be revenge spells. There's a lot of spells in both Primal and Shadow that have revenge, which means you get to cast that spell twice. But there's not a whole lot of cards that get a direct benefit from that. The only one that's really obvious is Murky Tentaclesis because it comes back from the void whenever you play something with Destiny, which is technically what happens when a revenge spell gets played for a second time. Uh, that's the only card that gets that specific benefit that uh, triggers off of Destiny. The other cards that uh, that benefit a little bit more indirectly is a card like Gale Prowler. That's the 3-1 for 4 Primal that gets plus 1, plus 1 until end of turn and flying whenever you play a spell. That's going to trigger the first time you play a spell and when it comes back and revenges. Uh, Cutbrush Cartographer is the 1-3 for 4 Primal. It gets plus 1 strength whenever you play a spell. The revenge spells count twice. Uh, then there's like Terrazon Echo, which is the weirdest card of the entire format. That's the 1-2 for 2 Primal. It has Plunder. Uh, it, and then when it attacks, it also has Berserk. And when it attacks, it gets plus 1, plus 1 for each spell you've played that turn. Uh, which is pretty cute because it has Berserk, and so it gets that bonus... Uh, twice. However, uh, it's hard to play a lot of cards in a turn, and then with the revenge spells, you get to play them for free, but you don't get to plan when you play them. They come at a random time, so you're never sure when you're going to be able to attack with your Terrazon Echo for a bunch of damage. Yeah, uh, and tricks, it's like a bit of a nombo with tricks, which is just like a weird is. place to be. Yeah, it only gets its bonus when it attacks, which means if you play a trick during combat... Which means if you play a, a, a trick during combat, it does nothing. Um, I mean, it does whatever the trick does, but no, nothing special. So there's a lot of so there's a lot of cards like Gale Prowler is the best out of those effects. Like getting to hit in the air twice with Gale Prowler is pretty good, um, but there's nothing like dramatic uh, that benefits from casting these spells. And a lot of the spells that you cast only have a temporary effect on the board. Uh, there's like Grizzly Contest that lets you sacrifice something to kill something else, and then that happens twice. But most of the others are are sort of temporary board control spells and not something that has a permanent effect. And so building your deck around them always feels a little bit weird. You're hoping to draw the cards in the right order, get those units down on the board that benefit from casting spells, then draw the spells you know, it, like it's a little bit like ramp, where you need to have the ramp cards and then the payoff for the ramp in that order. Otherwise, your deck stops working completely. So there's that. Uh, I think it's possible to build that deck, but difficult. And then there's mm -hmm. also a bit of a sacrifice theme. Uh, Primal for the first time has a sort of a token generation theme. You've got your, uh, you've got by far the best version of that, which is mobilization. That's the uncommon that makes two one-two horses. Um, and then it has revenge, so it comes back and does it again. There's also Cheerful Shepherd, which is a zero one that makes a one two. Uh, those are that's it. <laughs> that's all of them. <laughs> there's, there's like an uncommon in the draft packs that makes three zero one sheep, and that's all. That's all of your token generation. But clearly, there's supposed to be some. I uh, well, you see that card a lot. I see that. You do. Card. Yeah, it's like a ten times uncommon. So you're gonna see it. So if you really want sacrifice fodder you can get that card. But it's still an uncommon, so maybe you don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's that. 
that's a theme, but I don't know if it's enough to go in on because there's not really a lot supporting it. There's a lot of cards in Shadow that sacrifice other cards for value, but there's not a lot of cards in Shadow that want to be sacrificed. You really need your other faction to supply the sacrifice fodder because Shadow doesn't have it for some reason. Yeah, um, but... Oh, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, I guess, and what's also weird is, like, besides for Ravenous Thorn Beast in Shadow, like... There are a lot of there are a, a couple cards like Grizzly Contest. There's the one that draws a card from your opponent. Um, void. Yeah, yeah, grave grave robbing. G- yeah, grave robbery. Grave robbery. Uh, uh, but like those cards don't win the game on you know like there's those cards don't win the game at, on by themselves. They like. They're like cute little value cards, but if all you're playing are O ones, like or even one twos, you're like, who cares how many of your opponent's units you kill or how many cards from their void you steal? Yeah. You're like your card quality is just not Yeah, that can't be your whole deck. You're spending yeah. a lot of time spinning your wheels without actually doing anything. So that's that's a problem with that sub theme. Um, there is sort of a feeling that you can build a lot of value over time with Felm, and I've been up against decks that have done this successfully, because a lot of your cards happen twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, False Demise is probably one of the best cards for Felm. That's the uh, that's the five shadow shadow spell that um, puts a card from your void, puts a unit from your void back in your hand, uh, and it has revenge, so it'll do that twice. And then uh, if you have two primal influence, it will also give that unit uh, plus one health and flying. So you're and, gonna have a one-one flying shepherd. Yeah, you've got to have something better than that to get back with your false demise. You know, like uh, so you really can't build it around those tokens. <laughs> you have to have things that can can uh, that can have some board presence. Those are a little thin on the ground in Felm. You can find them, but it, they they're not. Uh, there's not a lot of them, so it, the so this faction combination is in a little bit of a weird place. Um, what I have been beaten by in Felm is uh, is the Scorpion. Uh, that's uh, Acrid Scorpion is an uncommon. It's a three five for four primal primal, good size. Uh, if you've got two shadow influence, it's got life steal. If you have two time influence, it's got decay. It's a good card uh, across the board, and. Uh, there's a card. Uh, there's a card that costs five primal, primal, primal. Uh, that it's a rare, and it makes a copy of uh, of a, of, a, of one of your units and gives it flying. Uh, they both have flying. So twice in this format now, I've had someone go turn four acrid scorpion, turn five, uh, make them both make another acrid scorpion, and now they both fly. Also, they have life steal. Uh, not winning that game. Plus, that card has revenge, so it's going to come back and do it again. <laughs> Man, that's so disappointing to hear. I've <laughs> drafted two decks with that card in. Have, Vengeful Flight. Vengeful Flight is the card, yeah. And have never successfully given something flying with it. <laughs> that's too bad. That's too bad. It's a real good card. I I guess you just got unlucky because every time someone casts it against me... I, I die very quickly. Yeah, that's interesting. I think part of the problem is Primal does have some okay flyers, and so I feel like I ended up in spots where 
Like, <laughs> just all my units had flying or something, and then... Yeah, you can't cast it on something that already has flying. That's the drawback to Vengeful Flight. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, you need a good ground unit that would benefit from being copied and given flying uh, to start. And I don't know how many there are. That's why Acrid Scorpion is the main target for it, because it's maybe the best primal unit for it to, to be yeah, given no, flying. Yeah, no, that sounds good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just surprised because, like I said, I've I've dropped it in like two of my three primal decks. I've had the um, vengeful flight in it, and in both of those decks, it did absolutely nothing. Uh, and part of the problem is that Shadow really doesn't have a lot of good targets. Just period. Yeah. In this in this particular format, it doesn't have large mid range units, and that's what you really want um, mm -hmm. for like a lot of this because those are the cards that you sort of like establish board presence with and win the game with after you've got your theme of like you make tokens and then you sacrifice them for value doop -de -doop -de -doo. you kind of need yeah you, you need something with some substance after that so uh so there's that and then there's a spell damage theme but there's not a lot to it bolt crafter shaman gives you plus two spell damage and it's at 10 it's a 10 times uncommon so you're going to see a lot of them but there's not really a lot of spells that can actually benefit from that in Felm, so it's something. It's just sort of another sub theme that you might be able to cobble together a Felm deck. So in the end, I just haven't had any success with Felm because it's got a lot of little themes that seem like they might add up to something, but there's not enough support for any of them for it to really work. Uh, although I have seen strong Felm decks, they've been decks with powerful rares um, right. and powerful uncommons. Uh, the co the commons don't really add up to much in my experience, although maybe I'll experiment with it and figure out how to do it. I'm not sure. All right, so next is Huru. Huru is a lot of fun. I think it's my favorite. Uh, I think it's my favorite like faction pairing in terms of sheer, like, hey, this deck is real fun to play, <laughs> kind <laughs> of. Like, on the rating of fun, uh, Huru is right at the top of the list for me. Uh, it's a, It's a very aggressive deck. Um, and the reason for that is Valiant Leap. Valiant Leap is a two cost, uh, two justice, justice, sorry, wait, no. It's two primal, primal. It's a fast spell. Uh, it has revenge. It gives a unit overwhelm and flying. And then if you have two justice influence as well, it also gives it plus two, plus two. Really only a good card in Huru specifically. But it's so good if you are playing Huru. What a great combat trick. <laughs> um, sometimes you just want to hit your opponent in the air a couple of times, and Valiant Leap does that. Sometimes you want to give something plus two, plus two in the middle of combat. It does that too, and then it threatens to come back sometime in the next ten turns and hit them in the air. Real good card. Uh, one of the biggest payoffs if you're in Justice. But the other thing is you get kind of a, uh, you get kind of a lot of cards between your Justice commons and your primal commons that can stun your opponent's units and uh you've got uh you've got Dural's frostkin uh that's the three three for four primal that stuns an opponent's unit you've got minotaur duelist that's the five uh five justice justice three two that stuns an opponent's unit and has revenge so it gets to do it again you've got frost that's your two power um two primal fast spell that stuns a unit that has revenge you just have so many ways to make whatever your opponent is doing irrelevant. Um, and then you've got some mid-range attackers in Justice, mostly. 
you've got your Gale Prowler that it's attacking in the air all of this time. You've got your Rabble Rouser, which is giving your other units plus your other unit plus two plus two for their attack this turn, and that that has revenge, so it gets to do it again. You're just sort of overwhelming your opponent with temporary value. So you can run out of steam with your Huru deck because eventually all of your cards that are having temporary effects will run out. And if you haven't won the game by then, maybe you're in trouble. Uh, but if you can establish some board presence and win, then it's the very definition of a tempo deck, and it's a blast to play. That's my feelings about Tfuru. I don't have any downside to it. It's super great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always the strongest possible deck you can draft. Like you want both, ju- you want Primal to be open one way, and you want Justice to be open the other way. Um, but if you can get into it, like it's one of the stronger deck archetypes, I think. Oh, that's interesting because I know like a, a lot of people were having some early success with the deck, but when I looked at the cards. I I still have trouble imagining the deck, um, but Part enough of, people have said that they like the deck for me to feel like I should at least try it a few times. A lot of the deck's strength is in the curated draft packs and not in in set nine. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big part of it. Valiant Leap is like one of the big payoffs that's actually in set nine, but just the makeup of the curated draft packs themselves. Uh, is what makes this work because that's a lot of your like three threes for three and your your uh, your gale prowlers and that kind of thing, right? Um, and those are the cards that you're actually winning with. Like and then and then the all of the sort of stun tricks are in are in pack one and pack four. Is shatter a good card in this deck? I don't I don't think so. Because no. you don't need to get rid of anything permanently. Shatter is right. the, the, the one primal fast spell that kills a stunned unit. Uh, yeah, you don't really need to get rid of anything permanently. All you're trying to do is is temporarily uh, interrupt your opponent's blocking plans and then and then win. Like, uh, if you had a version of the deck that that isn't particularly tempo-oriented and needs to play a longer game, and you have a lot of ways to stun your opponent's stuff, then maybe shatter, but I don't think it's necessary. I've never played a shatter in a seven-win deck, mm-hmm. if that means anything. Yeah. All right. So next is Rakano. So Rakano is interesting because I know it's very strong because people are putting in a lot of seven-win decks in the in the in the Discord. Uh, but I have trouble making it work, and I'm not sure exactly why. But I'll take a stab at it. Uh, the main theme for Econo is Surge. You've got a lot of units that grow bigger when you gain influence. Uh, and notable among those uh, is Flameheart Patroller, which is the 1-3 in fire, and Surge gives it plus 2 strength until the end of the turn. Uh, so that can attack for a lot of damage real early. And then Chain Whip Bludgeoner is, uh, costs 2 justice and is a 2-2, and it gets plus 1, plus 1 uh, for Surge. So it attacks, and it also has a certain amount of survivability if you can generate more than one influence in a turn, and it has Aegis, so it's basically impossible to kill if you can give it any kind of permanent buff. Uh, pretty obnoxious card, and I wish it didn't exist, but it is part of why Rakano can be strong. Um, so, because Surge is so powerful in this particular combination, the symbols are valuable. Those are the power cards that mm-hmm. give you two of one influence. Uh, even though they come into play depleted, it's fine. You play a two-drop, you play a uh, you play a symbol and 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 hit real hard and play another two drop then do it again on the next turn. Those kind of plays are what make 
Gracano hard to defend against. Um, and also, I think Plunder is more valuable as an ability than in the other faction pairings, although it's always valuable. Uh, because sometimes you want a sigil, and in Ricano especially, you sometimes you want just want a sigil, play it, get your surge bonuses for the turn instead of whatever card you were going to add to the board, and Plunder lets you do that. Um, so I would say, in general, the best Ricano decks are very low to the ground. Like, their curve is a lot of two drops, because mm-hmm. the two drops themselves are so strong. And you don't really need that much top end because your your two drops are are fine for the most part. And also, you really need combat tricks. Like the best Ricano deck that I've personally played had a couple of Finest Hours and maybe a Rampage and Victor's Cry, and all of those are boosted in the curated draft packs. Finest Hour and Rampage are both five times common, so you'll see them often enough. And then the the real king of them is Victor's Cry, which is a, a uh, 10 times boosted uncommon in the draft packs gives you plus five plus five for four justice justice it's a fast spell and it has revenge so it happens twice um so those kind of cards are the cards that make it because Ricano doesn't have a lot of evasion you know you really have to outclass your opponent with your big units um and yes though i think big units yeah or Efficient units. Yeah, efficient units. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we've also talked about how Rakano has, you know, one of the best one drops in Trickshot Ruffian, and yeah. Fire also has uh, a couple, at the very least, playable one drops. Certainly. Although one of those did get nerfed, the little, uh, the Eager Deputy. Went down to one health. It's a zero one instead of a zero two now that gains strength whenever something with higher strength in it um, is played or uh, when you play it. Um, also, it has plunder, so it's always going to be playable because it has plunder. But I think I'm probably going to play Eager Deputies about where I was playing them before, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Because the main thing is to have a one drop with plunder. And then, and because plunder is so good in the form, like if you draw your eager deputy later, either you trade in a sigil for an extra card if you need that, or you get your 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 surge drop for the turn. Yeah, I will say uh, between all of Primal's random one twos and Fire's random rustlings, you know there there are a bunch of one attack units around that can now. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Eager Deputy is is definitely worse. Yeah. Um, how much worse? I don't know. I've learned yeah. to value anything with plunder on it a lot higher than I was at the beginning of the format. That is one of the big changes that I made between when I was losing a lot and when I was winning a lot is to just value anything that says plunder on it about five times as much as I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so and then uh, then the other sort of uh, the other thing about Ricano is that it uh, it's it's one of the better factions for the imbue mechanic because you have so many temporary buffs like Finest Hour, Rampage, Trickshot Ruffian, um, Chain Whip Bludgeoner, and Flame Heart Patroller inherently have temporary buffs. You can snapshot those with your imbue units and get that temporary buff. Uh, to be permanent on the imbue unit, and you've got like Slag Fury Berserker, which is a one-one with for with uh, with imbue and um, Berserk for three fire, um, and Auric Official is the one in Justice, which is a one-one 
with imbue that gets plus one plus one uh with surge uh both of those are like good ways to capture your temporary buffs Mm -hmm. force your opponent to deal with a large unit and then you still have your two drops and stuff to continue attacking with after they've used resources on the large unit um, I think that's a legit way to have a mid game with Ricano. You know, you your your little two drops aren't going to be able to break through forever. So might make a big unit, and then they got to deal with that, and then continue attacking the two. I think it all adds up to something. I haven't again, I haven't had a lot of personal success with it, but it certainly happened to me where people have rolled over with me, whew, have rolled over me with good Ricano decks, and then posted them on the Seven Win <laughs> channel in Discord. So it's happening. Yeah. Well, I think part of it is just, you know, it's, I think it's easy in this format to build a deck that just can't handle a good Rakano start. And so if if you're playing, you know, if you're playing people that are trying to ramp in their Combray deck or whatever, like the, the Mono Fire, Mono Justice or the, Rakano decks can just be so fast that you can't like really do anything about it when you're just like goof you, you know you're in Zenin and trying to get your your four cost one one imbue draw card guy going and you're dead before you get a chance to draw any cards yeah I think that's what it is is you get those free wins um so you're not going to have as much success against stronger control decks but decks that take a little while to get rolling yeah uh Ricano's gonna roll over them and that's the main reason why you play it mm-hmm. all right so uh let's go on to skycrag i'm probably responsible for there being any skycrag decks in the seven win list personally um that we're keeping because i've had two recently uh possibly one before that i'm not sure but uh like the the official theme appears to be going wide or tokens um because you've got payoffs for doing that for making a lot of units in the form of oni battle driver which is a good unit no matter what but it's better if you have a lot of units on board that's the three three for four fire uh you can pay two once per turn to give a unit plus strength and uh, equal to uh, the number of units you have and overwhelm and then it dies at the end of the turn um a very strong card, but much stronger if you're making a bunch of tokens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's Steam Blast, which is a, a two primal uh, slow spell that deals damage to a unit equal to the number of units that you have. And it also gets a bonus to damage to the face if you have a certain amount of fire influence. Uh, you've got Storm Prowler, which is a flyer equal to the number of units you have. You've got Skyfire Hellkite in the draft packs, which does damage equal to the number of units you have. You've got Rally, you've got Relentless Pursuit that are combat tricks that make all of your units do more damage. Uh, that kind of thing. There's a lot of cards like that that are the payoff. There's not a huge number of cards that actually make tokens. Uh, <laughs> as we discussed, uh, Primal has basically two cards, Mobilization and Cheerful Shepherd that make tokens. And Cheerful Shepherd is in a weird spot when it comes to cards like Rally that's a spell that gives your tokens extra strength because a zero one one can't attack. So you have to cast the Rally before you attack. If you want to attack with your zero one, and then your opponent is not surprised by your rally at all. <laughs> they can make intelligent blocks in response to what you've done. So it's a little bit weird that way. I don't think I want to play Skycrag if I don't have a mobilization or two. 
because uh, that's that's where you get your that's where you get your good tokens that power up all of these great payoff cards. Um, and mobilization, unfortunately, is an uncommon. But because people don't always want to draft primal, sometimes you will get a couple of mobilizations, and then I'm skycragging. <laughs> but also, mobilization is such a good card that you can play it in Elm to fuel sacrifice. You can play it in like Legion for spells matters or whatever. You can do a lot with it. Uh, but I'm probably going to do Skycrag because it's so fun. I think it's usually an, an aggressive deck. I think Skycrag usually you wanna you wanna be punching pretty often, um, and yeah, using it's... stuff like Battle Driver to finish off your opponent. You get a great three three flyer in set nine uh, in Argent Depths if you are playing Skycrag specifically. Um, that's the like Steam Driver or something. Yes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm sort of enthusiastic about the deck, but I know that I'm not going to be able to draft it often because it needs specifically for both Primal and Fire to be open and for there to be particular payoff cards, all of which are uncommon um, <laughs> for me to be able to draft a good version of the deck. And you can make tokens with Corrosive Dagger too, but then you need mostly Fire Influence. It's awkward, uh, so I don't think it's one of the best decks, but when it's good, it's very, very strong. So where does Storm Prowler fit in all of this? Because it seems like it it like quote unquote fits the theme, but it doesn't really like fit the spirit of the deck. In the sense that it's a very expensive card. Yeah, it's very expensive, like you mentioned with Corrosive Dagger and Rust Machine. Like, you know, one of the best ways to generate tokens is to have fire influence, and yeah. this requires for primal yeah i don't think you play them in the same deck i think you can only really realistically play storm prowler if you've got the token generation in primal yeah but then it but it's still a six cost card so it's not it's not even like that aggressive of a card yeah that's i don't like it i don't like storm prowler <laughs> it's a payoff for play for going wide but i don't like it i don't want to storm prowler is plan b also it's the only common on this list of cards that you get. Well, I guess Rally and Relentless Pursuit, but like the big, like really effective payoffs, like the reason that you play the deck are almost all uncommons. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Storm Prowler is the common and it's, it's not as good as the others. That's plan B. I yeah. mean, sometimes it's a giant flyer that your opponent can't deal with. There's not that much silence in the format, so it's hard to just outright kill it. Right. Uh, but there is some silence and even if yeah. it's a giant flyer, it's conditional and it's expensive, I guess. Yeah, yeah there's not a it doesn't have a lot going for it. <laughs> I'm okay. cutting it from every deck that I can. It's just sometimes you don't get all the cards you want and then you gotta play Storm Prowler. <laughs> okay, so next on to Elysian. Uh, uh, next on to Elysian. Uh, so Elysian is in a weird place because they don't seem to have established any mechanical theme for it whatsoever. There's sort of a transform theme because there's that one uncommon that is like, uh, I think it's two time, time, time for a two, two with a view. And then if you have four primal influence uh, and it's in your void, then it comes back to play if you transform a card. It's a real strange card and I've never actually played it in a deck. Um, the benefit that you get from a lesion is several fold. You get the most plunder cards 
which already means you're in the best faction pairing. <laughs> time has more time and primal have more plunder units than any than than any of the other factions. And when you combine it, you got a ton of them, which means you have a great deal of control over what happens in your deck. Time is good by itself. You've got a bunch of con- good control cards. You've got your ramp, you've got your card draw, and you've got your late game cards all in one faction. Primal has a bunch of good defensive cards and a bunch of decent flyers if you get into the uncommons. And also a little bit of card draw because you've got like Wisdom of the Elders. So what that all adds up to is you've got ramp, card draw, finishers um, across the two factions. And I think it's one of the strongest faction combinations in the game. I don't think that's reflected in our seven win deck uh, spreadsheet at this point. Uh, because I think it's not an obvious deck combination to to draft because there is no mechanical theme. But the times that I've drafted a lesion, I have felt so in control of the game that my opponent is essentially helpless because I can generate so much value and board control and card draw. Uh, I can do kind of anything I want. Um, I don't think it's easy to draft this again. You need both things to be sort of open and at the at the right time. But I think that's sort of true for most of the faction pairings. Yeah. Uh, but I've been very impressed with it. it I, I've played it mostly as like mono time with a few really choice primal cards, which is totally fine. Um, but like times, uh, primal's got a handful of really impressive cards, and then time's got this strong core. And uh, you kind of end up with the best control deck in the format, in my opinion, even better than Xenon. Hmm. Yeah, give it a shot sometime. Yeah, I've I've only actually played it as a transform deck before with the with the band. Yeah, how'd, how'd that go? <laughs> I don't know. It's a surprisingly well because plunder's a good mechanic. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, yeah. You know, you're like, what's the point of getting a 2-2 back? But because it has imbue, you know, it often comes back bigger than... Yeah, it's kind of a big problem every time it comes back. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a hard card for me to pick because I don't know that I'm going to be playing a lesion and it's almost unplayable if you're not. Yeah, uh, and it requires four primal. Yeah, you've got to be really committed. But if I'm in a lesion already and i see that thing in pack four it's my very top priority because i've probably got like six plunder cards already yeah uh so there's that so so xenon let's talk about xenon that's time shadow and the theme is ambush and fast spells uh if you get enough of those you can play almost entirely on your opponent's turn and it's a nightmare for them (laughs) yes yeah this is definitely my pick for the most fun deck of the format but yeah, that's fair. I've had fun with it, too. But, you... yeah, but Xenon's been interesting for me because I still haven't figured it out. I've had a couple decks where I've done really well with it, and then I feel like I've drafted very sim- similar decks and not done well with it. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess I keep talking about this, and this does not align with your with your experience of the format, but more or less just like whenever my opponent starts with a fire sigil, I die in this format. (laughs) (laughs) And and Xenon kind of can fall into that category of, 
you know, like you can draw the wrong cards. You can draw the wrong cards in the wrong order a little bit. Like, you know, like the the four the the four time one one with imbue that draws two cards if you play a spell on your opponent's turn. That's a really great card. It is sometimes a really bad top deck. Yes. Yes, and... there's a lot of ju- a lot of the cards that sort of play into Xenon's theme are bad top decks. Like it's a deck that you want to play like a couple of turns ahead. You're like I'm going to play Enforcer this turn. I'm going to play 1/5, well, on my opponent's turn rather. I'm going to play yeah. my 1/5 and then on the next turn I'm going to play my Humbug Nest and turn my 1/5 into a 10/4. Like you kind of have to be playing a couple of turns ahead. Um and that means your top decks don't really factor into it, you know. Yep, and um, and sort of as you, you mentioned here, you know, because um, your ambush units tend to be smaller. You know, you're also can be behind with just how powerful some of the early drops in this format are, especially in Fire and Rakano. Yeah, exactly. It plays out as like their turn one fire sigil, your turn one sadness, your, their turn two <laughs> flame heart patroller. They've got a one three. Your turn two, uh, nothing. They attack with a three three on their turn three. Uh, you have nothing, uh, and then on your turn three, you've got like a two three to play with ambush, but all of their units are three threes attacking, so that does nothing. You're like you're just sort of behind for the whole game. Yes. Exactly. And then you play on turn four, you play your one one that's now a three four because you imbued on your two three. And then you're like, I can finally block their flame heart patrol. And then they kill the two three and your guys a one one again, and then you lose the game. Yeah, that's how that's how it goes. Uh, I have found when I'm drafting Xenon, like I had a deck that was Xenon that were basically everything had ambush and fast, uh, or or it was a fast spell, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is great. I've got like three Rollins enforcers, and I've got these two Blurhaze worms. I'm going to be able to activate them very consistently, and I'm going to generate so much value. Uh, and none of my cards were as strong as any of the cards my opponent was playing, and I died. I don't. I think I went like one three or two three with that deck. I think the good version of the Xenon deck has a mixture of that ambush theme and then just straight up good cards. You know, yes. like like just cards that are strong on their own, and then you've got this sub theme of generating value. You've got this sub theme of generating value through the ambush theme. Uh, that's just that's not the only thing that your deck is doing. Yes, and one of the good parts about this deck is a lot of shadows removal is fast speed. Yes, and those are cards you already want to play, and then the fact that you can have like further payoff for playing them really helps this deck out a lot. Yeah. And also, you do get access to one of the most busted cards in the entire format, which is Curtain Call. Um, Curtain Call is the two shadow shadow fast spell with revenge. Gives two of your units plus two strength and lifesteal this turn. And then if you have four time influence, your units can't be killed this turn. 
which essentially means you win. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, that has been nerfed so that it costs three uh, yeah. instead of two. Uh, that does not mean it is not still one of the best cards in the format. I'll take a small, I'll take a mini rally with lifesteal, and sometimes my units can't be killed this turn. Uh, and and treat it as though it's gold. <laughs> yeah, that was that was uh, this. We're not going to talk about it. I'm too tired. But that was a weird nerf. Yeah, it was a weird nerf. Here's this card that is incredibly strong. Uh, it costs slightly more. That'll fix it. <laughs> so yeah. All yeah. right. So that's more of a constructive our, conversation, anyway. Our final color pair. Our final color pair is Argentport. Uh, so this is, according to our spreadsheet, one of the least successful faction pairings in the format, right? Yes. And it I, is the color pair that we have the fewest copies of. Yeah, and I'm responsible for one of them. I got seven wins with a, a pretty mediocre-looking deck, but it worked out fine. Yes, yeah, so you're um, 33% of them so far. There you go. Out of the three, I supplied one of them. So I really, what my particular drafting habits sometimes skew the, the spreadsheet pretty heavily. But um, that's because Argent Port has two different themes, each of which are sort of semi-supported. Uh, I would say the first one is Sacrifice. Uh, Justice has the best units to be sacrificed in the format. It's got a ton of two drops that want to die. And the one of the big ones is Copper Hall Porter. That's in the curated draft packs. It's a 10 times common. It's a 2-1 for 2 justice. Uh, and when it dies, you draw justice sigil from your deck. That's a really good card. You hate trading your two drop with your opponent's Copper Hall Porter. Um, and I've, I've, I've come around to being just like, like I've just got a trade with the Copper Hall Porter. It's gonna die eventually. I know he's getting value out of it, but like I can't just never attack him. Um, uh, but when it dies, uh, it draws a Justice Sigil, and you feel good that you killed it for some reason. Uh, also, Stalwart Silverwing is the one-one flyer uh, for two Justice with Revenge. Also a good card to sacrifice. Uh, in in uh, that's also in the Curated Draft Packs in packs two and three. Uh, in in uh, in set nine. You've got your Solemn Clergy, which is a 1-1 for 2 justice, and when it dies, it silences uh, an enemy unit. Also a very good card to sacrifice, plus it has Plunder, which means it's made of Platinum. Uh, also, Willbreaker is a 5 times common in the Curated Draft Packs. Uh, that's one of the very, very few Corrupted units that's boosted at all. Most of the Corrupted units are not boosted anymore, so you don't have random sacrifice fodder in this format. Willbreaker is one of the very, very, very few exceptions. All of these are two drops, and a lot of the cards that want to sacrifice your cards cost three. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is uh, Siphoner Paladin, which is the one five four three justice justice sacrifice a unit and you make a three three relic weapon. One of the best commons in the entire format uh, also happens to be Injustice. You have Ravenous Thorn Beast, which is a five times common. That's the Shadow 3-3 three, three for three uh, that becomes a 5-5 five, five if you sacrifice a unit uh, when it comes into play. All of this seems like it would be great. Uh, you got Justice supplies you with Sacrifice Fodder. Uh, Shadow wants to sacrifice things. Justice also wants to sacrifice things. It makes sense. The trouble is that's like a good portion of your deck is cards that want to die. And sometimes you don't draw 
all of the cards. You don't draw the cards that want to sacrifice something and the cards that want to be sacrificed at the same time. So part of the time, your deck just loses to itself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's the trouble with this. It's a it's very strong when it works. Not so great when it doesn't. Uh, the other sub-theme is Armory, which is that there you've got a lot of relic weapons in both Justice and Shadow. And Siphoner Paladin's other ability is that if you already have a relic weapon equipped when you use its sacrifice ability, it gives that relic weapon plus three, plus three, which is super cool with some of Shadow's weapons, like the one, the one five with Decay. Uh, when that becomes a, like a four eight with Decay, <laughs> it's a real beast. Um, and then there's a handful of others. You've also got that uncommon in Shadow uh it's a spell that gives your current relic weapon plus four plus two which usually allows you to kill more than at least more than one thing with it um there's a there's an uncommon in set nine uh the backbreaker which is a a six one relic weapon for six um but it gets plus armor um equal to the amount of justice influence that you have uh i haven't gotten to play with that card myself but when it's been played against me, it's beaten me pretty hard. That is <laughs> tends to be real good, but it's only good in Argentport. Um, there's a lot of cards like that. So again, uh, you know, it's pretty good. A pretty good sub theme. It's supported pretty well. Not like amazingly well. Like if you don't get any Siphoner Paladins, you might as well not try it at all because that's really the card that makes it work. Yeah. And that's a common, but you don't always get. To, to have one <laughs> sometimes or three. or three yeah if you've got three siphoner paladins your deck's going to be pretty good no matter what just throw some other cards in there and you're fine <laughs> but uh it's one of the defining cards of the entire format because yeah it's like it's, it's a card that blocks really well and then creates a relic weapon that's what you want out of your common <laughs> for three power <laughs> it's an absurdly strong card that's true. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, uh, one what I learned from drafting a seven-win Argentport deck is that your sacrifice fodder doesn't need to be really all that great as long as you've got enough of it. Uh, there's a one, there's a one-cost uh, justice common that's a one-two that gives you two armor when it dies. That's not a great card by itself, but if you're sacrificing it to make a, a relic weapon, then, you know, it ain't bad. You could do worse. Yeah. Yeah, especially... Yep, exactly. Uh, especially because, yeah, the relic weapon that it makes if you siphon or pallet in it is now a 3-5, and you're probably going to kill a couple things with that. Uh, anyway, um, I Argentport is, again... Uh, it's in a it's in a situation where there are definitely some themes, but they're only supported kind of halfway. I think it's supported better than Feln is, but I don't think it's supported like well. Because if you, all of your removal is relic weapons, a lot of times you can kind of have your relic weapons not match up well against what your opponent is doing. And then you might as well just have a bunch of blank cards in your hand. Right. Like, as soon as your opponent plays something with five health, then your relic weapons don't do anything anymore because nothing has five strength, uh, or unless you happen to have the very few relic weapons that do. Anyway, that's sort of the situation with it. I think it's a lot of fun to play. 
Um, but the raw power isn't necessarily there because it hinges on a handful of very specific cards to be strong. If you don't get the Ravenous Thorn Beast or the Siphoner Paladins, then your mid-game is just garbage. Mm-hmm. But also, some of the best bombs in the format are Injustice and Shadow, so I think that's how you, you get into it. Like, you've got a bomb that you want to play, and then you kind of cobble together this Sacrifice or Armory mid-game. Um, and then you play your bomb, because you've got all of this sort of, like, uh, general sort of board control stuff going on on turns three and four. Yeah, those are my thoughts. Cool. Um, the only two faction pairings that I haven't won that I haven't gotten a seven win deck in is Praxis and Felm. Praxis, who knows why, because it just hasn't just hasn't happened for me. But Felm, because I think it's genuinely difficult to draft. Uh, and those are I mean I probably haven't said anything that was like especially insightful about any of the faction pairings here but if you are struggling to get into the format and want to know sort of like general thoughts about each of the pairings and what you should be looking for i think there was probably a lot of good stuff in there yeah no i agree i think there's a lot of interesting thoughts we had some tips and some tricks we sort of you know um i also think this what's interesting about this format is it, it and you kind of mentioned it's really hard to figure out what some of the color pairs are doing on face value because you have so many of these cards that like like are fire but they're actually not a fire card they're like a Rakano card or they're um a praxis card you know what i mean like yeah and so it's really hard to just, like, figure out sometimes on face value. So I think this was a, a, a good and helpful summary of kind of what each of the color pairs are trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I, and I want to share the, the other couple of things that I did that, 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 uh, that brought me from losing most of the time to winning the most of the time in this format. Uh, one of them was treating Plunder with a great deal of respect. Uh, this is one of the reasons that I can play Primal now, which is that Yeti Taunt Patrol is now a real card to me. It's a 2-1 for, for 3 Primal Primal that has Plunder, and then every time you surge, it does one. It causes your opponent to do 1 damage to themselves. Treating that as like a real card just, just because it has Plunder <laughs> has really improved my game. <laughs> um, anyway, treating, treating Plunder with a lot of respect uh, helped. Uh, because it just improves your deck's consistency so much. You get to play your good cards when you want to play them. Um, the other thing is playing enough power. I was considering Plunder as sort of a substitute for power to some degree, and that was a mistake. Uh, I play a lot of power in this format. I try to play 18 power sources, sometimes 19 or 20, depending if, uh, on my power curve. And because Plunder allows me to turn my excess sigils into into treasure troves and therefore new cards, uh, the downside of, of flooding is mitigated to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing is to really pay attention to what happens to be open. I think more than any other format I've played in Eternal, going into a faction because it's open in the draft is, a, is important. Uh, because so many of the cards do need a lot of influence in that faction to play, 
you're just going to have so many more playables at the end if you pay attention to what's open and are willing to abandon your early picks if the packs aren't lining up for you. The ideal situation for me in this format is to have one faction that happens to be open in in pack one and then not to choose a faction, the secondary faction at all in pack one, certainly not commit to one until I understand what's open in pack two. And then just say, well, these are the two factions that are open. That's what I'm doing. I'm not going to try to force it. Yeah. Uh, that made a massive difference once I started really committing to that strategy. It doesn't work every time. Sometimes your cards that you get in the first pack are just so strong that it's worth just sticking with whatever those were, no matter what packs do and three do to you. Uh, but in general, staying open is more important than ever. Uh, so those are the three things. Uh, and then the fourth thing, of course, would be only play when I want to. <laughs> never never play Eternal because it's a habit or I'm addicted to it or because I feel like I have to for any other reason. Only play when I'm in the mood to and then I'll play well. Uh, so those are my those are my tips. Tips of the week is those those four things. All right, cool. So I think we're going to end our show there. It's a good time, um, too. What? It's an excellent time to end our show. I'm too tired to read this whole paragraph, so I'm just going <laughs> to say, what? have a good night, everyone, and remember to keep on farming. Keep on farming. Bye. Bye. Nailed it. Yeah. You, you look, you are tuckered out.